Hagrid, wait! Oh, oh uh, uh, children, yes. We were coming to your hut to talk to you. Yes, we need to show you something. Oh, if it isn't the main characters. You're my very favorite students. In fact, I think you're the only students I interact with. Oh, well, thank you, I guess. Yeah, before you go into the forest, we need to ask if you'll sign our petition. That's right. We want you to sign this petition to have a day where people come to look at Hogwarts. Yeah, we want all of the non-magical parents of some of the kids to be able to come look around. Yeah, we really want to impress them with some of the amazing sights, like the tree that will beat you to death. Uh, there's the moving stairs that move on their own while you're trying to walk across them. And all the gigantic monsters that live in and around the castle. Now that all sounds great, like excellent attractions that I think people would love to come and see. That's what we thought. That's why we wanted you to sign our petition. Mm, But I'm not so sure. What business do muggles have coming to see Hogwarts? Whoa! Hagrid, you cannot say that word. What, What word? That? No, the M word. That's a really offensive term, Hagrid. Oh, really? Why is muggles a bad word? Oh, jeez, he said it again. Uh, Hagrid, that's a word that's used to marginalize in other people. Oh, I see. So by calling them the M word, (laughs) we're making wizarding individuals the norm. That's right. And seem like they're better then. I I can see how that might be problematic. Exactly. So you're going to have to find another word to call the parents of mudbloods. Well, now I'm going to have to stop you right there, main characters. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the term mudblood is actually a very mean-spirited word used by wizarding supremacists to marginalize... Uh, certain wizarding families. I had no idea. I guess we all have something to learn about being more inclusive and caring people, huh? I think the important thing is that we all keep our minds open and we listen. That's right. We're all doing our best. But it can be sort of tough at times. You know, I really want to try to do better. I wonder why it's so hard to get the hang of this stuff. Ah, you know what? It could be because we're written by J.K. Rowling. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's it. Fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel. My pronouns are he and him, and I am here with my magical co-hosts. I'm Cassidy. My pronouns are they, them, 
And I'm a will of the wisp. <laughs> I was wondering why you were so intangible. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I can just kind of like fly around wherever I want. Nobody usually notices me. No, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. They think I'm a trick of the light, so the wizards like don't usually bother me too much. Usually they're pretty hostile towards uh, magical creatures, as you know. We do know that. So I uh, escape most of their notice. Some of them don't even believe in me. Well, we believe in you. Oh, thanks. We that do. That means a lot. Yeah. And, I, you know, I actually know exactly how that is. Because uh, I'm Jack Olander. My pronouns are any and all. Whatever you can conjure for. Oh. Magical. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a centaur. Oh. Out here keeping the forbidden woods safe and you know i i work all day and night keeping magical threats away from hogwarts children yeah thank you for your service thank you and uh when when i show up the wizards uh expect me to like bow to them in like some sort of service that they do for me but like i don't know i don't see it oh yeah and you know I've heard that some wizards can be really bigoted against your kind and think that you're not sentient. True. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, as you can probably tell from all of this problematic humor that we're throwing your way, this week we're going to be talking about the 2001 film Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, boy. <laughs> There's going to be some letters. Yeah. This movie was directed by Home Alone director Chris Columbus. Really? And it stars... Yes. <laughs> and it stars Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint. That's right. I'd also like to say, we just walked right by you said, we're going to get some letters. And you didn't say delivered by owls. <laughs> Damn it. You're right. Anyways, I know we have, oh, just so much to say about this movie, this franchise, some of the people who are behind it. But before we do that... Some of the people. I think Cass has a little summary ready to go. That's right. <laughs> so this is about the boy who lived the end pretty much i mean okay harry's been kept from the wizarding world by his aunt who he's staying with who is mean uh her sister was a witch and and she just doesn't like that very much and uh self-insert character from the author they, the aunt not the mother yeah they've been uh abusing harry making him stay under the stairs and treating him like a servant he's basically made to feel unwelcome and then he finds out he's a wizard and he goes to hogwarts and his whole world changes and at hogwarts it's a really dangerous environment with lots of creatures and things that'll kill you if you look at them the wrong way what does hogwarts teach survival through child endangerment <laughs> yes and uh, 
he and his two new friends, Ron and Hermione, discover a plot to steal an object that they shouldn't really care about called the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone. But they have to stop the resurrection of Lord Voldemort or right. something, which is a big ask for an 11-year-old. The three of them, 11-year-olds, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and despite all the adults around them trying to keep them out of harm's way and keep them from kind of continuing to be amateur sleuths. Now, hold on a second. Uh, Cass, there's at least two adults who are actively throwing them into harm's way, Professor Quirrell and Professor Dumbledore. True. Uh, they finally, like, outsmart everything and, like, go past all of the traps and puzzles, and Harry makes his way into where the Sorcerer's Stone is, and Professor Quirrell, who's being possessed by Voldemort, is trying to get it, and Harry gets it from him. And kills Quirrell with his bare hands. <laughs> that is dark. He just touches Quirrell and he turns to ash. Yeah. Uh, Voldemort escapes as a ghost and tries to curse Harry again, but it doesn't work. Just knocks him out for a few days. Totally safe. doesn't know anything about this franchise, which would be amazing. Um... Harry, Bless you. Harry is the boy who lived because Voldemort was this like Hitler wizard that was trying to like take over the wizarding world and like kill all non-magical folk or subjugate them. And another author insert character. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he like tried to kill Harry because there was a prophecy that Harry was going to be Voldemort's undoing. And Harry, like, somehow lived, and Voldemort was thought to have been killed. Just imagine, if you will, uh, Hitler shooting baby Jesus in the head, and baby Jesus lives. Yeah. Yes, that is the story of Harry Potter. Yes. But uh, Harry survives again, and uh, is, like, recovering in the hospital wing and finds out everything's cool, and then has to go back home to his abusive family. Until Yike. he's going to return to the dangerous school next time. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today, folks. We'll talk to you next time on Swords and Satire. <laughs> oh, uh, what I meant to say was, that's a pretty good summary, Cass. I think we should head into the Delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So guys, the past few years have made it increasingly difficult to talk about this franchise with any objective clarity. Right. And I don't want to be one of those people who comes at this and basically lies and is like, Pfft. I wasn't at all ever a fan of this franchise. And, you know, all of you who, like, didn't see through the bullshit are just a bunch of fucking idiots. Like, I'm not coming from, from it like that because I was a huge Potter fan before a lot of Rowling's, like, worst takes came out. And, yes, I will 100% say that was me looking past the glaring errors that existed in the text and things that I knew where I was like, oh, maybe this is just, like, a really bad, unexamined, like, bias that the author has and, like, kind of giving her a pass for things that were easy for me as 
a mostly straight cis white dude to like look past. But that becomes harder and harder every day, given the terrible things that the author seems to perpetually espouse online. And I don't just mean the idea that wizards just shit their pants wherever they go and clean it up with a a magic spell. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to just see the wizard that's on like the head council of Hogwarts that's just like, Sometimes I poop my pants and I don't evaporate it away. Oh, why? Why would you do that? I like the squishy. No, that's terrible. Yeah, in the last several years, J.K. Rowling has revealed a side of herself that has made people, especially the fans, take a much more critical look at her works. And people realize, like, uh oh. <laughs> When you look at it for like even half a second, it's the the spell starts to fade. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's part of it. And you start to see it for a lot more of what it is. A much more like conservative, unexamined view of the world. And it it is fantasy, but of course it reflects heavily on real world politics where pretty much the like most agreeable thing you could find in the series is fascism bad. <laughs> but even the story doesn't perfectly portray that because to some degree, the themes are also saying fascism good yes. if it's good fascism. <laughs> well, And that's the problem, right? It has this really simplistic view of morality where it's like good people are just good and can do bad things to try to have good ends and that's fine. That's right. And this is supposed to be a young adult series that gets more mature over time. And so, hypothetically, the themes should get more nuanced over time, but I don't feel they do. And uh, right now we're just about to talk about the first movie, but this is a piece of media that has been reviewed a thousand times by a thousand different people. There's a lot to unpack in these things. And uh, since it's been so thoroughly picked apart, we can just watch it as a silly, problematic film. (laughs) To some extent, sure. I didn't get into this series until I was in my early 20s when I found the first two movies in the fantasy section of an electronic store that I won't name. That's right. Cass and I are officially olds. So we were in our 20s before these books started coming out, I think. Oh, yeah, but I didn't even know about the books. I just saw the covers of these movies and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And I read the back. I was like, this seems like fun. I want to try it out. You go to the bookstore the next week and I was like, oh, they made books out of those things. That's wild. <laughs> and um, I think after the third movie we saw in the theater... Jamie and I ended up getting the books and reading them. And we we really liked it. We were really into it. We were doing the whole like, which school would you belong to? Which which like Which which school? No. Which house Thank would you, you be in? Oh, we, I, I which was... house would you be in? Yeah. <laughs> so, which which house would you be Thank in? You. <laughs> yeah. And we were like into like wearing our house colors and everything. But after the last few years of, like, JK showing her whole ass, and she wasn't just kidding either. Um, no, deeply not just kidding. No. 
it was she was really killing my love for the series and i mean that started even before that as i was like getting more into it and like really sitting with the themes and like the way that she organizes everything in the stories which i'll talk about and like that was really starting to break down my affection for the this series before she even was revealing that she's transphobic so and plenty of other negative things too and a, a lot of my issues with the series were like as i was thinking about it more and more like really becoming more and more aware in more nuanced ways besides the obvious physical danger the children are in are all the other damaging things about the series for children and the people that are reading it. Good point. And I started to like feel some distance from it after that. And like a lot of that is set up in this first movie, right? Yeah. So there's the obvious stuff that like always kind of shocked me, which was like how much danger these kids are put into <laughs> that. And that's the physical danger, right? But that's supposed to be fun and adventure and blah, blah, blah. It's like the wizards are so fucking irresponsible. <laughs> I've been saying it for years, people. <laughs> In this setting, like they have these huge, dangerous creatures that they keep in the castle, like Fluffy in this movie. And it's right outside of this really dangerous forest. They forbid students from going there because of how dangerous it is. But then they send students, the students there for detention with Hagrid. They have to go through the forest and they could all be killed. I mean, so many students die at this school every year, but their parents keep sending them there. Oh, it's so true. That's a good point. What the fuck does that say? Nobody cares about their kids, I guess. They have to sign a waiver when they send them. Yeah, right. And it takes a lot of money to go to this school so what if you're a witch or a wizard who can't afford to go there? Then what do you do? I guess we never know. Well, the Weasleys can still send their kids to school. Yeah. They have to, like, really scrimp to get by to do that. Now, we've touched on the incredible physical danger at the school. Definitely. As has been touched upon before. We wanted to mention a little bit about the devastating psychological danger the children face by growing up in this environment. It's true. I wanted to get there, too. Yeah. I mean, besides that, uh, another aspect of this environment being unhealthy is how unsafe it is socially and emotionally. They don't seem to have a policy about bullying. Well, they do. It's pro-bullying because Apparently. the teachers support it. Like, on all sides. And the teachers bully kids, too. Yeah, self-policing students. They're like inmates in a prison, a magical prison, and they're- But it's magical, right? There's no, like, guards. There's just multiple wardens who don't care what the inmates do to each other. The, that's true. And the teachers who look over and effectively control the lives of these students can dole out- Punishment on a whim, which yes. they do often and without any peer review or like you don't have to be like, like go to Dumbledore and be like, hey, 
I caught this kid. They were doing this bad thing. Here's what I'm going to do. There's no one you have to talk to for it. You're just like, oh, a kid did something that pissed me off. Mine is 50 points to Hufflepuff. Also, go walk into the dark woods at night. I was going to say, like, <laughs> the, the punishments are also incredibly hypocritical because in this movie, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are caught by Draco going into the dark forest at night. They are brought by Professor McGonagall to be punished, and her punishment is sending them with Hagrid into the Forbidden Forest at night. And, you know, just as an audience member, you look at it and it's like, well, then why is it punishable by the same action? It's like, yeah. well, you can't fight. And if you fight, then your punishment is you have to get your ass kicked by a bunch of other kids. It's like, well, that's, aren't you trying to discourage this behavior? That's right. The, the punishment is not based on any sort of logic. There's the troll scene. Yeah. Where Hermione is in the bathroom, a troll walks in. Uh oh, oh Jesus, oh God. <laughs> uh, Not an internet troll either. No, a very large troll. Uh, Harry and Ron are like, uh oh, we'd better go make sure our friend is safe. Who we bullied so bad that she ran off crying to the bathroom. Right. Classic. But they're, I guess they decided to feel bad about it. <laughs> you know, they're children. Empathy hasn't fully kicked in. Was it Ron who knew about this? Ron is the one that was bullying her the worst. Didn't she just overhear them, like, shit-talking her? Yeah. 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 You know what you do with your friends? You, you talk shit behind their backs? Actually, Classic. it started on the train when Ron would not look her in the eye and would only look at Harry and, like, have this look on his face like, oh, she's a real pill, isn't she? <laughs> now, do you think this is sexism or racism because Hermione's parents are not wizards? It's bad vibes. It's Anyway, Ron and Harry are running to go save Hermione because there's a troll on the loose. They're like, uh-oh, we'd better check in on our friend. Instead of just, like, telling a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, that well, they're kids, you know. Judgment, not perfect. Uh, they go and they help Hermione and they defeat the troll, right? These children defeat a troll. So much XP. McGonagall comes in with Snape. Yes. And Quirrell? Quirrell. Who is the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher? So right. I guess he's like wizarding cop number one at the uh, school, technically. I guess, but McGonagall is in charge here. And she's like... You dumb, fucking, stupid children. You're all in so much trouble. And they're like, what? But we, def like, Hermione immediately constructs a lie about why she's to blame about the situation. And McGonagall is just like, fuck you, kids. You're in trouble. It's like, wait a minute. Why is McGonagall so angry here? Like, clearly she was scared for children's lives, right? But the kids defeated the troll because they were trying to save their friend who was in danger. And McGonagall is just losing her mind. If Harry and Ron weren't there, Hermione would actually be dead. But they would have been following the rules. Exactly. So she's ripping the kids a new one and gets them in trouble. And they lied about why they were there. And it's just nothing makes sense. Yeah. There's well, no justice. <laughs> That would be a continuing theme throughout the entire franchise. No justice. Yeah. Um, Snape 
just bullies Harry all the time. Well, it's okay. He hated Harry's father. Right. <laughs> That's how he justifies it for sure. And Draco and other like kids that ended up in the Slytherin house are like bullying other kids all the time. And it's just like overlooked. It's kind of like turning a blind eye to all of it. It's like, oh, let the kids fend for themselves and yeah. they'll figure it out. And bullying can be so damaging for kids, you know? And it's just like grossly overlooked in this film and kind of like normalized. Um, I mean, it is something that happens to people, but it doesn't show like what can kind of happen to you. Well, there's no consequences for it. And like the good character is bully and the bad character is bully. So there's no like moral position that the film or that the story wants to take. It's a toxic masculine environment. Okay. Do you want to go into that? Yeah. Well, they are... It's it's effectively like a dick measuring contest, which we all know Ron would win. <laughs> uh, but between Harry and Malfoy, right? Yes. Malfoy's like, hey, you're that famous kid, Harry Potter. Wanna dab on the poor kids? Yeah. Well, Malfoy is a classist piece of shit. And maybe he somehow knows that the Potters were a wealthy family. Well, Harry is famous. That's there's that. And uh, Malfoy's dad is a wizard supremacist. Yeah. And Malfoy's 11. You can't expect him to be better than his dad really at that point. No, it's tough at that age, admittedly so. Yeah. And so Malfoy is probably displaying behaviors right here that his dad would really Im- encourage and like approve of. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I hate to say it for Slytherin that seems to be, like, a common thing. Having the parents who are like, listen, you're better than everyone else. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And you can just live that life. And you're... That's one of the other psychologically damaging things about the school is the way they sort kids into these houses by, like, inherent qualities that they have. Like, people can't change over time. It's like a personality test that's just, like, four random concepts taped together, and then you choose people's entire lives based on that. And it's like, once a family is bad, they're always bad, kind of. Except for, like, later on, there's a little bit of nuance to that, but it's kind of seen as, like, an outlier. Yeah, and also, like, a character who is supposed to be, like, our window into this world of Hagrid is, like, oh, well, those fucking Slytherins, like... Everyone who was evil was a Slytherin. But I, so I'm not saying that the only good Slytherin is a dead Slytherin, just that nine out of ten are. Yeah. And so there are four houses. We only get focus on Gryffindor and Slytherin. The Pretty bra- much. The brave ones and the ambitious ones. The Chad and the evil kids. And yeah, they're the always, yeah. yeah, and they're always like, oh, the all the wizards that went bad have come out of Slytherin. Yeah, and so we're getting uh we're getting a framework of 
the heroes who are strong, but they aren't like dicks about it, right? <laughs> no, they're kind of dicks about it. But they're only dicks about it to the guys who are bigger dicks about it, right? <laughs> yeah. And to each other. So uh, this is one of those things where it's like, oh, it's okay to be villainous toward the villains, right? Yeah. That's why I think this is like toxic masculinity. Okay. Because the heroes are always people who are like getting a leg up. They're like showing that they're more powerful, like they're more clever and they can shame the other students in front of everyone else. They're like more athletic. They're better at Quidditch, right? You know, it's just about how much better you are than someone else is the way that it's shown. And the main, like Harry is only the hero because the Slytherin kids are so shitty to other (laughs) People who are just random bystanders. And then there are two other houses, the Hufflepuffs, who are like hardworking, humble people. Irrelevant. Not even mentioned (laughs) in the film. Not even mentioned in the movie. Yeah. How about the smart kids at the school? Nope. Don't give a fuck. Smart or creative. Ignored. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. What's going on? Well, this is the problem with, you know, this entire franchise, right? Is that, like, you've got this... And I've seen so many people argue... You've got this worldview that's very simplistic. And I've seen people argue, like, Oh, well, it's a kid story. What do you expect? Like, yeah, there's gonna be, like, the good guys and the bad guys. And that's a bullshit cop-out excuse. Yeah. Kids can understand a greater deal of nuance. This is a window into the worldview of the author. I'm sorry. Like this no, is, it is. It this is. is somebody saying, like, I think that there's such thing as like inherent good and inherent bad in people. And inherent qualities that are unchanging over time and that can tell you about the quality of a person. That's true. And this is meta for the movie, but like Harry is supposed to be a Jesus analogy. Oh god, and yeah. Coming from like a very traditional, stereotypical Christian point of view. Inherent evil and inherent good. Oh, you mean the snake house is bad? Yeah, exactly. It, it, there's even a scene at one point where uh, Malfoy, I think in the third movie, is eating an apple. Huh? <laughs> no, no one eats an apple on screen who isn't an asshole. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the only two relevant from Grace. the only two relevant houses are the ones that can really like dominate other people is their thing, right? Yeah, and I don't like how the perspective is that like the jock prep kids are the laudable ones either. Well, yeah, I, I've heard that the Slytherin are more like the preps because they're like the rich kids. Right, and then the jocks are the well, Gryffindors. Yeah, I mean they're the racist rich kids. Sure. Yeah, this system really annoys me. Just like essentializing people's nature and then like pigeonholing them into this one like role in society from the get go. But with that being said, Hermione should have been in Ravenclaw. <laughs> well, no, see that's where this like movie fall and where the story falls into some interesting things where it's like. It comes so close to where there could be some kind of intelligent social commentary. And then Rowling just pulls the rug out from under herself. Because, like, at the beginning of the movie, it's like, oh, Harry, maybe you should be a Slytherin. You're ambitious. You're clever. You're cunning. Like, that's a better story to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, That would have been really cool and interesting. Just like, oh, 
I, I thought being a Slytherin would be hype. I got put here, but it turns out like a lot of people think this is the evil group I'm <laughs> yeah. a part of. That would have been sick. And JK like sort of re- like didn't retcon, but said that Hermione really should have been a Ravenclaw, should have written Hermione as a Ravenclaw, gave some excuses as to like the convenience of her being a Gryffindor and was like, I would change it now. And I'm like, uh, yeah. You and it also it. make her a huge turf. Here's the thing. It's just, it is just lazy because everyone who has seen it or read it has had the thought, why isn't Hermione a Ravenclaw? <laughs> yeah, also, why isn't Hermione the main character? Yeah. Also, why did these books need to be written if they were just <laughs> going to reinforce like the worst parts of society? Yeah. That's right. It's time to look a little more at J.K. Rowling's problematic relationship with the queer community. All right. Uh, This is why I've been really hesitant to talk about these movies uh, our entire show. Yeah. Turf. (laughs) Trans-exclusionary radical feminist. J.K. Rowling is one of these people. Oh, I'm sorry. She prefers the term gender critical. Ah. Wonderful, because that sounds approachable and fun. You love to hear someone is critical about you before you meet them. (laughs) (laughs) So, J.K. Rowling thought of herself as a pretty badass ally of the queer community, right up until some of her opinions became public, and it turns out she's not an ally of the whole queer community, and she, she took that personally. Instead of trying to adjust her perspective like Hagrid in our intro (laughs) (laughs) or the kids. Yeah. She said, no, I'm not wrong. The uh, everyone, everyone else is wrong, right? Everyone who's had an experience that's slightly different than my own is wrong. Don't look into the fact that I literally changed my name to initials so that I could not appear feminine for selling my books. That's right. And, uh, She's such a hippogriff. Yes, <laughs> such a hippogriff. J.K. Rowling... She's flying in the sky. <laughs> J.K. Rowling did a few things, like trying to say that Dumbledore is gay. And After like the books were written, and there was absolutely no content to confirm that. Exactly, and then when people complained about that, like, okay... But no, he isn't. He's just he's just asexual the way he's been written so far. Yeah. He shows no interest in sexuality. Don't you can't just say he's gay and then not show us that he's gay. Well, no, here's the thing though. I was writing him gay. What does that even fucking mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but here's the thing. This story has been written by someone who thinks that her opinions cannot be wrong. That's right. Right. The deepest cognitive dissonance of any author in like recent history, which is really saying something. Yeah, she owns a castle. How can she be wrong? That's yeah. right. Or not even opinions. Her perceptions cannot be incorrect. That's right. right. Uh, listener, have you ever been wrong about something? Have you ever been happy that you were corrected when you were doing something wrong? If so, you are better than J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Low bar. And so it's ironic because of how many queer people have seen themselves in the Harry Potter franchise. It immediately starts in a not accepting household. 
which unfortunately for a lot of generations that are alive right now, uh, a lot of people vibe with that. Yeah, Yeah. Harry isn't accepted for who he is. He's different from the rest of his family, and he's ostracized because of it. He is mistreated and deeply loathed by his family. Yeah, That's right. For what he was born. Yeah, exactly. He is, from the moment he's born, he is judged based on his mother is just existing with something she was born with. It's assumed that Harry is going to be born with that as well. Yes. Not confirmed. Just assumed. And yes, that's true. But also, it's something that he can't even hold in, right? Like, as much as he tries to be a non-magical person, his magic just comes out at inappropriate times. He cannot control his body's function. Oh, that's true, but I'm talking about even before he shows signs of magic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is hated from the moment the family learns he exists. Yes. His aunt is just like, no, this kid is the child of a monster. And the second he does use magic at the zoo, uh, they're immediately like, we knew it. We knew it. Every every way that we've mistreated you up until this point has been justified. That's right. By you doing something... On accident that was out of your control, right? Yes. Yeah. Just for being alive, you deserve the punishments that we've been giving you. And so, yeah, a lot of people in the queer community have seen themselves in Harry's experience of, like, being different from other people, trying to figure that out, not being accepted by others, but then being able to find your community where you are accepted. Yeah, exactly. And it's this really wonderful thing where he's finally freed. It's more normalized. Just who he is. It's great. Yeah, there he can just be judged for, uh, you know, being born to the Potters and not for (laughs) being shot as a baby. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Being the victim of like an attempted genocide, stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, going back to your meta points about J.K. Jack, I think we need to revisit the bathroom scene with oh the troll. Boy. Oh my god. That's right. There's a scene where Hermione is in the bathroom. Which we described earlier, but we'll describe it again with a different lens. Yeah. This- she's, she's there having an emotional <laughs> moment because she just heard two people who she thought were her friends shitting all over her. That's and right. And she's just kind of being quiet to herself, but for some reason, the troll wanders into the girl's bathroom. It seems very pointed now that we know what we know about JK and like how much of a big deal she was making about trans people, trans women specifically, being able to use the women's room or the girl's room if they're younger. That's right. The troll is a big masculine presenting monster, comes in, swings his giant meaty dick and just breaks everything. It's a club. It's a club. It's his club dick. That's right. J.K. Rowling talks about, trigger warning, J.K. Rowling talks about how she's worried that trans women are just going to come into women's restrooms and safe places and just start sexually assaulting everyone in sight. And... The way you're describing it, like, I'm pretty sure in her tweets, she's, like, refusing to gender them properly. She keeps misgendering them. She keeps saying, like, cross-dressing men and, like, 
like these penis individuals and yeah, stuff. Just like the grossest, like the worst dumb shit that your shitty uncle says at a holiday to try to like offend you. Yeah. Because he doesn't care about you as a person. He just cares about his own stupid political ideology. So while we were watching this bathroom scene, I couldn't help but think about all this stuff. It feels like, okay, with that troll scene. Yeah. Combined with the uh, Harry Potter's aunt. Harry Potter's aunt is envious of Harry Potter's mom. Harry Potter's mom is a witch with magical abilities. And everyone was so excited about her having magic. Everyone supposedly forgot about Harry Potter's aunt. Petunia. Petunia. And uh, so she's resentful. She lashes out at Harry. All this stuff, right? My sister was given this wonderful gift at birth. And so fuck her and everyone like her, right? Now, okay, bear with me, right? Envy. Hateful envy. The troll coming in and assaulting the women's restroom. Well, also attacking Hermione, which is what JK is always afraid trans women are going to do. They just want to go to the bathroom. Let people go to the bathroom. That's right. Uh, There has been suspected latent self-hating transphobia in JK Rowling. Oh, yes. Because there have been times where JK Rowling will say stuff like, oh, you know... Uh, You can't escape the struggles of being a woman by being a man. Of course, it would be awesome to be a man. I would love to be a man. Stuff like that, right? Huh. And Something along those lines. Yeah. J.K. Rowling has said multiple times in writing how much, like, even I at times have considered, what if I want to be a man, right? (laughs) They've questioned it in the past. And it's like, you know... I don't think she realizes that most people don't think that kind of thing. Yeah. Unless it, you're trans. <laughs> there's some amount of, there is some amount of self-hating gender queerness inside of JK Rowling. Most likely. I would yeah, not I be it. surprised at all. No. And uh, that it is so common for people who are in a society that would not accept them. I've seen these tweets, Jack, and I have thought the same thing. Yeah. Well, and it's not just us. There are video essays where people talk about yeah, this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so it it is such a common thing that when you grow up in a society that says, this is bad, you cannot accept that you yourself could fit into that demographic that's being persecuted. And so instead, you keep up the persecution. Right. You. It, it, is, it is a self-defense mechanism wherein you knock out any potential criticism of your self and your own actions by pointing your fingers at the more overt expressions of your feelings. That's right. And so it just feels so much like JK Rowling is like shitting on people who don't fit in, like in a weird way, like the wizards are another expression of being queer. Like we were saying, but She's also representing hatred toward queer people and like the aunt and with the troll and stuff. It's like we can see the conflict going on inside her head (laughs) in the text of like, look at this magical thing. And then also look at how horrible it can. 
like the I'm nuance like, is, is there but not on purpose it's and like, not what she wants it to be yeah it's like the aunt character represents everything that jk would be afraid of if she were to come out it is also the person that it feels like jk rowling has become Oh, absolutely. I was not joking about the self-insert character. No. Yeah, exactly. I was only slightly joking. Yeah. That's a good point, Jack. And I think you were getting there. I just didn't And Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't see it yet. Yeah, it's... I think she would like to think of herself as one of the main trio or something, or Dumbledore. I don't know. As one of the heroic characters, she seems like the aunt. She seems like Petunia. Really? Yeah, she she's really somebody does. who's just filled with loathing and anger at the world. And like... We're going to get into it as we get deeper into these movies. I, I was trying to make it like my challenge to mostly focus on this movie and like things that orbit around the themes of this film. There's so much more we can talk to, like the depths of her pettiness go deep. Yeah, we're yeah. just kind of generally touching on it here because we don't want to like get too much into the weeds on it yet. Yeah, but hey guys, are you ready for my most tasteless transition of all time? Let's hear it, Jamie. So we've heard so much about somebody who is like attacking the queer community. But do you know what you guys can do to support queer artists? <gasps> What's that? You can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up to send us a little bit of cash every month to support the show. Oh, yeah, because we're queer. You know, that's actually the first time I've thought about us and this podcast as queer art because it technically is sure i mean that <laughs> it's just like i knew i know i'm queer i know you're queer and we're queer <laughs> but like queer you wear queer artists that's cool yeah well and we bring a queer lens to a lot of the media that very, we talk about very often yeah and we like, <laughs> don't get us wrong we're also poor socialists yes that's right and we contain multitudes. And yes. history and fantasy buffs. That's right. And if you want to support any or all of that, yeah, head on over to our Patreon. You get some even more episodes and art that we put out on there. That's right. And you can vote once a month on a movie that we will cover on the show. Now, Cass, I hear a rumor that there's going to be a new $1 tier for people who just want to vote on the movies every month, which will then be a gateway to them saying like, well, now I got to have the rewriting history episodes and the outtakes and everything. Yeah, it's true. But we realized that we wanted to add another tier for people who, you know, might be supporting other artists on Patreon and it's like hard to have too many. And so we thought this would be an easy way for people to support us uh, if they want to and they have the means, but like they couldn't go higher. Yeah. And we appreciate anything that you can provide to support our show. That's right. It means the world to us. Yeah, we appreciate it. All right. Well, back to the episode. So, guys, this would not be a sword and satire if we didn't take a look at class in this film. Yeah, it makes sense. But uh, I think something's coming up behind us. I hear something happening. <laughs> It's the theme music. Wow, it is blowing out my eardrums. So, 
I think that a really important way to look at this film is through the lens of the British class system. Okay. And I will include this disclaimer right here. This is not like my original reading of this, but this is a reading of the film that I picked up from other critiques and analyses of the Harry Potter franchise that I think more people should probably view the movie through. Okay. Right? So it is really easy for an American audience to watch these films and be like, oh, Harry's like this pulled up by the bootstraps, little kid. He's got this real tough situation. And, you know, he makes the best of it and he gets his friends and he beats up the bad guys and everything is good. But here's the thing. Harry inherits a tremendous amount of wealth from his families, from his family. He is like viewed as this rightful scion of wizarding power. And he kind of never earns much of anything through his own behaviors, right? Because he's kind of a blank slate character for the audience to imprint upon in a lot of ways. We really get the sense that he doesn't have to do much. He just has to tap into what is already a part of him. Except for, like, kind of, once he's in the wizarding world, be kind of a dick and, like, push himself into places that he's asked to not go into. Right, like a noble would do. Yeah. Or, like, royalty would do. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some of his most important, like, tools he uses? He gets tremendous wealth. And then he is just gifted a wand, basically, right? He doesn't, yeah. like, he can afford it, but it's, like, from his parents. It's connected to the great wand of Voldemort. He uh, shows off a fair bit of talent, like, natural talent at flying a broom. Like, he doesn't have to do anything for that. He doesn't have to earn it. He's just, like, instantly one of the best broom riders. So Professor McGonagall gives him the most expensive broom that every kid is talking about. Dumbledore sends him the invisibility cloak from his family, a a lineage item, right? Something that he's inheriting from his father. And to get the Philosopher's Stone, he doesn't have to want anything or do anything. He just has to not want it, and then he can pull it out of his pocket. Yeah. So what does this represent when we look at it through the class lens? People of... Wealthy classes are often just given things. That's right. Uh, like tax breaks or uh, land, land, titles, inheritance, ge- like so generational wealth, right? Right. And like people of the lower classes have to pay sometimes twice as much for things. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's this whole idea, this concept of being highborn, right? Yeah. Harry is highborn. Oh, well, his mother was not from the Wizarding World, but his father's from an old Wizarding family, and he's got all this tremendous wealth, and he just kind of deserves everything. So we just kind of, like, give him these qualities because he's just so... His bloodline is so good. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the other things that he doesn't have to worry about that most people do in the low to middle economic classes are is debt yeah and that's that can be generational too true and then it keeps you down in a lower socioeconomic place a status and generational wealth will keep the one percent where they're at too 
and and that disparity can get worse yeah and you know the the whole class system in the uk where these stories are coming from the perspective they're coming from is super codified like in the behaviors of like just the way that you associate with each other right like it exists like the idea that we live in like a classless system in america is absolute hogwash of course we all know that but like it is so ingrained into the british mindset for people like jk rowling who are coming from this old school way of thinking and so like you're saying Harry's part of the upper class, so he just deserves all this stuff. Exactly. He doesn't really have to achieve anything or practice anything. He just kind of gets what he deserves because he was born so well. Also, this is in a wizarding world with magic. You can apparate anywhere pretty much, right? Sure. You can teleport. You can just conjure food. You can conjure shelter. Yeah. You can conjure anything. Yeah. And this is a post-scarcity society in theory. But they still have an economic system. They still have capitalism. Yep. They still have poor people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Harry is constantly juxtaposed against Ron, his friend, who is, they say, brutally poor, like grows up in, in abject poverty. But, you know, his family are kind of the good lower class people. So they're kind of fun and quirky and like they get by by scraping along. And then Hermione's family, who are not wizards, but her parents are both dentists. Yeah. Like they make a decent income and they're- can afford to like give her time to study and send her to good schools and send her to a magical school. Right. She's a first-generation Hogwarts student. Yes. Yes. But Harry belongs here. They never really get in this series into, like, understanding the fabric of magic and why suddenly somebody could be born to a non-magical family. Yeah, we don't get into the uh, epigenome of the characters, unfortunately. That's the level of detail that I would have enjoyed. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so, like, there's this pernicious idea... That you just have to be lucky enough. You have to win the birth lottery, which is true when it comes to wealth, but it also for Harry means he's the one of the best flyers. He's like, you know, always at the right place at the right time. And he's just kind of given the tools he needs. He doesn't really have to be active in any way. It is said in every way, but outright, he's the chosen one. Right. I think it's also said outright. Later, say, later you, on. Yeah. I think more in the books, maybe, they call him the Chosen One. Okay, well, there you go. Which is, of course, a problematic concept to begin with. It's just everything is handed to a single individual who the fate of everyone else relies on. Yeah. Like, he's kind of like a king returning to his kingdom, in a way. Yes. Or certainly he is, like, of a noble bloodline and he's going to inherit the kingdom. Yeah, returning to his rightful place. So, yeah, I think that's an important lens to keep in mind whenever looking at this media, because I think that it doesn't get critiqued enough, especially coming from this writer who is a very old school conservative in her social values. No matter what passing like liberal policies she claims to support, at her core, J.K. Rowling believes that the class system is right that you get what you deserve without any real effort on your part, and that some people 
are just better. And that's something that Draco says that you're supposed to feel like, oh, well, that's like a critique, right? But it ends up being reinforced throughout the stories. Yeah. Yes. So, with all that being said, I think it's time for us to head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and give us a rating from one to ten wands? Yeah, I'll give you an epic moment or feature. <laughs> uh, I think my epic feature has got to be Hagrid. Yeah. He's one of the most pronounced personalities yep. in the film. In, in a setting where some characters are just really archetypal or generic or devoid of much personality, or let's say you take a character's personality and give it to a different character, so they're just nothing. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Because <laughs> uh, they took... The all the scenes where Ron Weasley is supposed to shine from the book and gave them to Hermione in the movie. <laughs> yes, uh, you know Ron, their cultural broker into the world of wizarding, as the only member of the trio who's grown up in this society. Yeah, you mean the poor kid who gets to come along and say mean things? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> love Ron, uh, but Hagrid is epic because he's like. <laughs> A lovable, friendly, he's the he's a gentle giant. Yeah, literally. He's lovable, he's goofy, he, he is good intentioned in a way that is sort of like, gets him in trouble. Because uh, the running gag is he, the kids will ask him a question, he's like, oh, I shouldn't tell you about that. And then they kind of press him a little harder and he spills the beans. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Should not <laughs> have said that. It's a lovable quality. It is. It's because he's like trusting and wants to collaborate. He's social. And uh, he is someone who has a lot of compassion for children and animals. Yeah. Yes, true. Like that. Already I've described someone who everyone would like to be friends with. I think <laughs> it's awesome. And he just lives on like. And he's got a big dog. Yeah, he has a big dog and a big three-headed dog. Yeah. He loves having tea time with people. That's right. He lives right on the edge of the woods, and you know he has a job in a community. He's a cool guy. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I just love to see him. And he like goes to the bar and trade. Like sometimes gets exotic pets and stuff. And. It's pretty cool. <laughs> he buys dragons from shady people who I think are Professor Quirrell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, he's a really cool character right now in the first movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, pretty epic. All right, fair enough. Oh, God. Oh, shit. I didn't think of a rating yet, but we're just going right into it. Yeah, just dive right in. The movie's pacing is pretty good considering it's long. True. Two and a half hours. Uh, I feel it sets up the rest of the series really well. Uh, it's a little slow at times, like the chess game. The editing is a little insane. <laughs> and like, there are certain sections like I really I did did not care about like broom 
flying lessons, stuff like that. And just, there were a few sections that lingered too long, but it doesn't feel like a slodge to get through the entire thing. The whimsy is pretty fun. If it if the themes were handled better, stuff like the sorting hat would be kind of cool. Everyone loves a personality test. But like maybe if you had to do it more than once in your lifespan, stuff like that. Anyway. Maybe if it didn't determine everything about you in your future and then also included the these kids are evil caveat. Yeah, and then kids are stuck into houses and they, there's no intermingling in the with the yeah. main characters it makes more sense if it sorts them every year yeah anyway like there there are just so many ideas that are good at surface level and it made the series get by for so many years at surface level because people were young when they were fans and then JK Rowling started saying <laughs> bad things it made people look beneath the surface it is so lovable at first glance and then it isn't after <laughs> uh, 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 i think i'm gonna have to give the movie five out of ten because it, i have fun watching the movies like despite everything i've seen video essays just completely analyzing every aspect in ways I could never do independently. And it's incredible the way, the way that it's problematic <laughs> and fun. And like, <laughs> and uh, it, it's like, it, originally you could just say, I like this popular thing. These days you could be like, Harry Potter is my problematic fave. And I, I could see that. They're fun to watch. At least this one was pretty fun. And uh, it has a lot of problems. I probably will see it again. And, uh, you know, five out of ten. Uh, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to your menchies. No. <laughs> what about you, Cass? What's your epic moment or feature? And then your rating from one to ten wands. My epic feature is going to be Neville. Neville Longbottom? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to say his last name. That kid with the droopy <laughs> ass family? <laughs> that was their career for many years. Pantsing people? <laughs> no, having droopy butts. Oh, Long bottoms. <laughs> okay, that was the career? Yeah. Okay. Um, Jobs used to be weird in the Wizarding World. Okay. Drop that ass to the floor <laughs> so many times, it just pancakes out, gets all floppy and loose. <laughs> <laughs> smack it too hard it just pops like a balloon it just flabs there Aww. okay whimsy <laughs> <laughs> so he is a courageous little guy he is and um he's also coded as neurodivergent and um he gets bullied for that and ridiculed even by the people that are supposed to like kind of be accepting of him, like his forgetfulness, like the way he's coded really reminds me of somebody who lives with ADHD. And um, seems like barely anyone likes anyone else in this world. Yeah, and it's just like his traits are kind of played for laughs, and he gets no support at the school. Real, oh. he gets like 
sort of shamed at the school. Yeah. yeah, he's super mistreated. Shame is rampant. It will only get worse. But he gets through. He gets through all of his classes, even though he's struggling without support. And relatable. Um, he he does have friends. He can socialize with people and like. He does stand up to them when he needs to, and so I wanted to give him props for that. And he gets he gets better and better each year. Uh, so yeah, props to Neville. Yeah, it's so hard to rate this movie because, like, when I first saw it, I loved it, and I was, like, really loving the whimsy of it and everything, and, like, it still does have that quality to it. All of the things that you can read into it about, like, the queer experience are still there. This is also a bunch of nasty shit, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'll give it a 4 out of 10 ones. It's, it is still enjoyable to watch, even though I'm hyper aware of how critical I am of everything while I'm watching it. So that kind of takes away from it a little bit. It does drag at times. It's too long. Two and a half hour kids movies? That's not a normal thing? <laughs> Yeah, but it is still fun to watch, like Jack said, so god damn it. Yeah, four out of ten. <laughs> but what about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from one to ten wands? Yeah, tell us, Jamie. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I think my epic moment is going to be the train ride. Oh. To Hogwarts. So first off, trains rule. Yeah. That's like, that's all I need to say, really. I watched the train scene. I'm like, I would like to be on a train. I'd like to be on a train eating a cart full of candy. Uh, like one of these long rides through the <laughs> yeah. Scottish Highlands and, cool. and moors and stuff. Sounds great. Uh, I like trains. I don't know a lot about trains. I'm not like a train guy. But boy, I used to ride the train every day to school. And it was lovely. You know, you just jump on that thing. Sit down. Me, I'd pull out my laptop, play some Nintendo. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> I kept a USB uh, SNES controller. But that's not about this film, right? <laughs> I like trains, so I like this scene. Also, the train scene specifically is where you kind of get this interesting anticipation, right? Where the story is going in a new direction. Harry has just, like, gone through a wall to get onto the train. Like he, this is his first touch of magic, right? We're meeting his friends. We're getting to know some of these other characters. Um, this is an opportunity to get to know Harry's friends. It establishes some interesting, like anticipation for what the school is going to be like. And I thought that was an interesting use of filmmaking to have like this kind of interstitial moment where we're seeing him, not just, like, appearing at Hogwarts and, like, orientation, but, like, actually stages of this journey as he is leaving his world and coming to this new place. Yeah, it's a liminal space. Exactly. Now, with all that being said, it is very difficult for me to rate this movie because of all of the complex things that we've touched on in this episode. We are no strangers to talking about media that was made with or by or connected to people who have done and said and been bad things, right? It is really hard because 
the Harry Potter series was such an important landmark milestone for so many people. And like I said, in spite of its many, many flaws, of which we haven't even touched on all the ones that are specific to this movie and like some of the terrible representations in this film, they still felt like there was something special there. And I still have like this warm, fuzzy feeling that I realize is kind of the same thing I have for Star Wars, where the story in my head is so much better than the story on the page or on the screen. And I like fill in so many blanks for this world because like, yeah, there's a decent framework and all the content inside is pretty like slapdash and like juvenile. Yeah. Like Rowling fills it with fat shaming and cruel jokes and the this like really simplistic idea that like good people can't do bad things. You know, if they do bad things, it's okay. It doesn't make them bad people. They're still good people because you are what you're born. Right. Yeah. And you can do bad things to bad people, and it can make you a good person. Exactly. So it's really tough, right? So I'm going to give this movie two ratings. I'm going to rate it from like a filmmaking point of view and a storytelling point of view, because the people who made this movie, especially the young actors who play these kids, I think are wonderful. Radcliffe, Grint, Watson, you know, and a lot of the other people too, seem like really great people who have, you know, come out in support of LGBTQ people and all this stuff, which unfortunately, because Rowling is such a prolific person who has so much social clout that she can like actually do real damage to people's lives and continues to do it all the time. It is very important that people who are associated with her work speak out against her. And anybody who says like, Oh, these kids are just being, you know, uh, disrespectful. Fuck you. You don't have to toe the line about what, like, the writer of your books fucking wanted you, like, wants the world to be like. That's fucked. And anybody who says that, like, if you believe in any concept of, like, independence or individuality, you should be ashamed of yourself if you have that view that, like, the kids owed J.K. Rowling anything. Oh, yeah. Also, from the people who are saying that it's, like, disrespectful to read the subtext of your art, what, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, yeah, not even that, but yeah, that too, sure. Like, just analyzing your art, it's like, what, are you just not supposed to? (laughs) Yeah, that's a fair point, too. So, from, like, the filmmaking point of view, I will give this movie 5 out of 10 wands. It is a... Decent kids movie that slightly overstays its welcome. (laughs) Decent kids movie when you look past some of the stuff that we have looked past because some kids can do that and will do that. But it's not good because there are bad things in this movie that we haven't even touched on. Like the goblins. Yeah. Which I want to talk about the next time we talk about one of these movies. Hopefully with somebody a little bit more experienced in this subject. Oh yeah, definitely. And we were talking about the bathroom scenes with the troll. Oh boy, wait till we meet Moaning Myrtle. Oh boy, that is a good point. Oh, the sexual assailant in the boys' restroom that is a harmless gag. Right. Oh, good point. So, 5 out of 10 
filmmaking. But due to this movie's association with a person who is actively causing harm to people as we speak and who cannot take any criticisms, I will give this movie zero out of ten ones for being associated with J.K. Rowling. But again, as I don't think the actors are beholden to her, I can look at this movie through two lenses. Right. But, you know, it's pro- it probably would have been better if this was not the writer that everyone, like, hitched their wagon to. That's right. Early on. I think one of the morals of the story is don't feel like you already know everything and always yeah. try to try to learn from other perspectives. Definitely. And for anybody who was, like, who found something special in these movies or these books or these stories years ago and are grappling with some of the difficult realities. Like I really feel for you because I know what you go through in so many ways. It it is, it is painful. And I'm sorry if Rowling's comments have made this movie or this book or this story a sore spot in your life rather than like a comfort that it should have been if it was made by somebody who had an ounce of human decency in them. You know how people rewrite the Bible sometimes? Like there are different versions of the Bible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it time? I think it would be time for like a community reclaim and rewrite <laughs> of, the, of the books. Re-release. <laughs> Maybe. Like, trans mask Harry. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, you know what? Yeah, I'm here for it. Let's go. So guys, this was really hard and I felt really uncomfortable for part of this conversation just because I had a hard time knowing how people would react to what we had to say. But I will tell you that I had a great time talking about this film with you. Yeah, me too. Uh, And joking our way through the watch. Yeah, that was a good experience. And uh, I gained some new insights, I think, by talking to you guys. And I'm also looking forward to next week. Our first week in the February month that has the Day of Love in it. So we're covering, um, like, undead fantasy love stories. Ooh, what are we starting with, Cass? We're going to start with Warm Bodies. A classic. Yeah, a zombie love story. (laughs) Nice. Eat your heart out. Literally. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to talking about that. I haven't seen that film in quite a while. Jack and I watched it recently, but it's so good. Like, I'm excited to watch it again for the show. Nice. Yeah. Oh, good. A movie that will actually bring us pleasure instead of the pain that was the unintentional problematic faves month. Right. (laughs) Now, that's a pretty fun theme. (laughs) (laughs) It was not intentional. Next time it will be. (laughs) God. Probably. I kind of hope not. But Jamie, where can people go if they want to know more about our show? Well, they can pop on the social media and search for at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and the festering corpse of Twitter while it's still there. Yeah. Uh, You know, if you do that, you can keep up with the show, see what episode we release every week, and check out some moderate to extremely funny memes. I think they're great. I do what I can. But what do people do if they want to support the show, but they can't afford to support us on Patreon? I know the answer to this one. Oh, thank God. That's right. At least somebody has some answers. (laughs) Well, you know, we don't advertise our show, really. 
except by word of mouth. And that's exactly where you come in. You can tell your friends, tell your family about our podcast. It helps us out a lot. That's right. And it expands our community. And, you know, I hope if you're sharing the things that you love, the art that you love, us. Yes. <laughs> with the people that you love. Well, that that's just a wonderful bonding experience for everyone. It's so true. And love is love. That's yes. right. All right, guys. Well, until next time. Hail, Hail Crom! Crom!